Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. We can't grow this podcast without you, the listener, or the support of our amazing sponsors. This year, we are pleased to announce the support of Matrix Fitness, one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations in the world. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix performance team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and getting better. For more information, please request their sports performance package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Vilnive at matrixfitness.com and mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Manny Osborne Parody. Uh, Manny is a alpine skier and having made his Olympic debut in Turin in 2006, Osborne Parody has competed for Canada at four Olympics, Turin, Vancouver, Sochi and Pyeongchang. During the 2008-9 and 2009-10 seasons, Osborne Parody had won six World Cup medals, including three gold, most of any downhiller during that period of time. After an ACL injury and broken fibula during a horrific crash, at a World Cup downhill in January 2011, Osborne Parody did not compete again until November of 2012, where he recorded three top 10 results on the World Cup, including a fourth place finish in the downhill at Kvitville. Osborne Parody returned to the World Cup podium with a silver in Lake Louise downhill in November 2014, ending a more than four-year drought. He earned his 11th career World Cup podium in March 2015 with a second place finish in the Kvitville downhill. In 2017, Osborne Parody skied an amazing race from the back of the pack with a near impossible start position to claim a bronze medal at the St. Moritz World Championship. Osborne Parody is the first Canadian to win both a World Cup Super G and downhill. And he is now uh, a proud father of uh, Sloan and a husband to Lana and lives out west and is trying to make a fundamental comeback post another quite significant injury. So Manny, welcome today to Leave Your Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm Long uh, bio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're always interesting to read, but uh, lots of information for the people who are listening. And um, this podcast really is about sort of traveling the life journey of uh, the people that I get to talk to. And you and I have uh, bounced into each other regularly through uh, the last 
number of years of your career, but certainly I didn't have any knowledge of uh, intimately of your early career and where you came from and stuff. So maybe tell the listener sort of where you grew up and, and how you got into, into skiing and becoming a, uh, an Alpine athlete. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to three years old. I mean, really it's like my daughter's three and she skied for the, by herself for the first time yesterday. And I think that that's kind of, <laughs> if I was to start my career, that's literally that the same kind of day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it started, my, my grandpa was uh, a mountain doctor at Whistler Blackcomb or Whistler at the time. And uh, they actually, believe it or not, had to entice the doctors to be, to make the, the trek up the gravel road from Vancouver to Whistler. So <laughs> they, uh, they actually built the doctors uh, places to live. And, uh, and so my grandpa had um, an A-frame that the mountain built him uh, just just uh, a little walk away from the, from the base of Creekside mm-hmm. and uh, growing up uh, just with my mom, uh, she, you know, she felt like I, uh, I needed a male influence and, and she liked to ski. And so we would go up there on the weekends mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's kind of how it, how it started. Um, kind of a little later in my uh, adolescence, the, um, uh, I was told by a, by a doctor, uh, that I would need Ritalin and uh, it was kind of either, you know, give your kid Ritalin or put them in a sport that lasts all day. And, uh, that's so thank you to my mom uh, for not throwing me on Ritalin and, and just saying, okay, well, you know, ski racing it is, and you know, it's expensive and you know, it, there's a lot of commitment, but, uh, and not coming from a ski racing family whatsoever, other than, uh, you know, growing up, in Whistler, not me myself, but my mom growing up in Whistler with a, with a cabin up there had partied with the, the crazy Canucks and Rob Boyd and all those guys. So knew them from, you know, some apres ski worlds, uh, but nothing, nothing, nothing formal. And, uh, so yeah, we didn't really know what, what ski racing was all about. We just knew that, uh, that it, that it happened all day and for two days, straight days. And, uh, along with, pretty much the fact that I did every other sport possible. Um, I also skied. So, um, I was, I was very active. I was a busy kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, from that point on, I moved to Invermere, British Columbia when the BC ski team was based, uh, it was, it was solely based here. Um, and I say here cause now I'm back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I was, I, I finished high school in Invermere while I was on the BC ski team. And then when I made the national team, it was fully based in, in Alberta at the time. So I moved to Calgary and I lived, uh, just over 10 years in Calgary. And then, uh, when, uh, my wife and I got pregnant, we decided that we needed to move back closer to the mountains and it would be easier for me to travel home between races and actually get some training in if I lived uh, in Panorama and it's, we called it home for, for a long time. And it's been, uh, an amazing, amazing move to, uh, the East Kootenays. Wow. Well, I'm going to circle back. As you said, your, your mom was a single parent with you. Is that it? And yes, had, yes, she you was. Had, you had the brothers and sisters or you're single? No, I'm an only child. You're an only child. So, you know, when you reflect back on that for your, you know, what you just talked about with your mom and the, the cost of the sport and stuff, you know, how do you reflect upon your mom at this point, like with, with fatherly eyes rather than as the kid that you were back then? 
Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate, uh, that, that she found, she, that she found so much value in, in skiing. Um, you know, being such a hyper kid, um, and not really focusing and schoolwork really not being a high priority in my, in my world. Um, I think she found it hard. I mean, I, 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 I commend her now because, and applaud her because I know for a long time and there was a lot of resentment for myself through my, my family and even some of my mom's friends, because I know that so many of them had conversations with her asking her why she, um, is putting, putting me through skiing and, and, you know, all I, all I do is, is party and, and don't go to school. And like, why would she pay these bills to an athlete that, or not an athlete, a kid that, that really, you know, is, <laughs> is borderline delinquent and, uh, <laughs> uh, if not fully delinquent. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think she, she saw it as that, that was just, the um, that was the only thing that I really had the pleasure doing was sports. Um, it was the thing that I worked my, that my heart out at. I worked so hard. Um, it was my outlet and no matter how much trouble I got in or, or, or what, um, she couldn't take it away from me because she felt like that was, that, that wasn't an acceptable punishment because it was Mm -hmm. really the only, it was the only thing that kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And when you reflect back on that period of time in your life in skiing, like when did you, when did you know that you were good enough you know, that this, or, or did you, and, and was it sort of, were you always sort of competitive in the sense that you wanted to, to go to the national team or did that just sort of metamorphosize over time? Like, was it an organic reality? Our sponsor reconditioninghq.com is back this year with a big lineup of courses across the country and beyond. The practice of reconditioning is literally changing the way we see physical preparation. This is an approach that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together that helps you as a practitioner build more robust clients. Not just rehab injuries or train for fitness and performance, but make people more robust. Life isn't about surviving longer, it's about thriving. And Reconditioning HQ is offering a life mentorship program called Empower You, totally designed to help human performance professionals live their best life. After all we do for others, shouldn't we do our best work for ourselves? If you have an interest in ice hockey, ReconditioningHQ.com, Perform Better, and Matrix Fitness are bringing the best in hockey performance to Mont-Tremblant, Quebec, June 27th to 28th, and it's going to be epic. Check out all of their course offerings on reconditioninghq.com. Um, it was definitely, I mean, as I look back and maybe other people have different stories, but I felt like it was very organic. Uh, I was, I was always good at sports, um, and I played everything. Um, but I wasn't great. Uh, hmm. there was always better athletes and like, you know, I never was the star, skier the star basketball player the star rower or star mountain biker there was there was always somebody or a couple people on the team that were better than me Mm. um so as much as i i was athletic and i totally i mean you i knew i was athletic um things came naturally to me i I was i and that was never the best and Mm. um so i just i just did it because 
you know, every sport that I could sign up on, I, I just wanted to go and run. I just wanted to run around. I just wanted to get sweaty. Um, I, I, I just wanted to play sports. And, mm-hmm. uh, as I got older, you know, you know, baseball and, and, uh, soccer and, and basketball and volleyball, and you had to say goodbye to all these sports. And I had to keep, um, evolving as, as, as skiing took up more time. Mm-hmm. And when I say skiing at mountain biking also took up a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. So they complemented each other for a long time. Um, and I just kept choosing both of those sports. And really, I wanted to be, I, I grew up in Deep Cove in North Vancouver. And, and uh, I, I wanted to be a mountain biker. I mean, we were at the, the heart of, of free riding. And, you know, having guys like Andrew Shandro and Wade Simmons and uh, all these guys that are, are iconic figures in the mountain biking world growing up down the street from us and, and not yet being uber famous around the world. Um, I had a, a lot of mentor, uh, a lot of, I, yeah, I had a lot of people that I looked up to. I don't want to say mentors cause you know, I, I mm-hmm. didn't get to know them until a later date, but, uh, you know, there was, there was just so many influential people like down the street and mm-hmm. I thought it was more achievable than uh, something that was going on in Europe. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but that being said, I mean, Rob Boyd was in Whistler and I know that, uh, that he was around and he was definitely influential and in, in uh, maybe, maybe the, the organic part of just saying, well, obviously you can do it. Like somebody from Whistler has already done it. Not, you know, as a kid, not knowing how good he really was. But knowing that, well, he's won a World Cup. And when Whistler, like, you know, when, when the World Cup came to Whistler, he won it. Like, I never really thought winning a World Cup was out of reach. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like it didn't seem like this goal that was unachievable. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like another guy from this town had done that as well. So I'm not really sure. Like, if you just keep trying hard and pushing yourself and, you know, that, that can be achievable too. I really, I di- it didn't seem like a crazy far out of reach stretched goal. Um, so I think that that's maybe why it organically just happened. So I think when I, when I was 15, I, I was, I made the BC ski team and that meant I had to move away from home and, uh, I billeted with a family in Invermere Mm. and, uh, you know, good and bad. I mean, I was kind of, I was in a pretty, tough spot I think with my with my mom you know only child and uh, 15 year old boy is probably pushing back a little bit and I definitely was partying a lot um and uh was running with maybe a crowd that I shouldn't have been in Whistler so it actually worked out very well to kind of move out of that world and and into a billet family and they had a a son uh that was my age and we hit it off really well and uh we became really good friends he ended up being the best man at my, at my wedding. And, uh, and it was just a a really good change of pace and to get away from the party scene in Whistler, um, (laughs) was really good for me. And Invermere, um, Invermere took us in. I mean, Panorama took us in and, and the school system was unbelievable at the time. Uh, our guidance, my guidance counselor, counselor, um, Joanne Bragg uh, is a great friend of mine still. She's been to multiple World Cups. Um, you know, I talk to her all the time. She really got me through high school, uh, you know, made me show up to class and everything. And it, it really was what I needed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, 
And so then that was kind of when my mountain biking quote unquote career, uh, or the pursuit of excellence in mountain biking kind of ended, uh, moving away from the North shore and everything, but I, that was okay. Cause I made the BC team and it was time to choose to do one sport and one sport only. And, uh, that's kind of when that happened. Cool. Was there a particular co- coach on your, on your rise that, that really impacted you, uh, um, personally or professionally, so to speak? Uh, I think, I mean, if I, if I really had to go back through my career, I would, I would have to, I'd have to say that, that I was very fortunate to have great coaches the whole way through. Mm. Um, I always felt like they added so much value to my life. And, and at no point did I ever have a coach that, that didn't believe in me and didn't stand up for me. And I think that through, uh, through all the, the messy situations that I got myself into, um, I'm very fortunate because I think a lot of coaches could have just turned a blind eye and, um, I'm not sure what it is, uh, that they did that, but I, 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 I have to really thank all of the coaches. I don't think that there was one in particular, they were all, amazing people at, at different points in my life that really helped me get through, um, uh, all the, all the, all the troubles and, and tribulations it takes to, to grow up and become, uh, become a man and also become a, a sportsman. Mm. Talk about that for a second. Cause I know you've gone, you've probably done a lot of contemplation in the last year or so about your career and stuff after this big injury, which we'll get into a little bit later, but, when you look back and I think, you know, I keep hearing you sort of homage to the fact that you were a bit of a, a maniac when you were younger, like what were you, were you like that because you, th- you think you just, that was your character of birth or were you actually kind of re- revolting against something in some sense and, and, or have you reflected back in a way on that in, in any way? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, reflection, uh, <laughs> lots of reflection all the time, but, uh, you know, the what ifs, you always see, uh, ski racers that have had better careers than you and, and worse and athletes and everything. But, uh, the unfortunate part is I think it was just me. I just like to have a really good time and I like to push the limits and everything. And I like to, uh, <laughs> um, you know, mediocrity is not what I, was pursuing and uh, be that in sport or partying or lifestyle or <laughs> adrenaline uh, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I was there to push the limit and I just, I just loved, um, I, I loved, I loved pushing it. I, I don't even know how else I could say it. I just, I, I really just, <laughs> mm-hmm. no matter what I was, I wanted to have a good time and I, and, and I, uh, and I, I didn't know my limit and I didn't stay within it. Fair enough. So you come in on the, in the national team and, and it's, you know, if we look back at, at the national team over many years, you were actually part of a, a group of pretty talented guys with Eric Gay, Robbie Dixon, Jan, uh, Jan Hudik, uh, Robbie um, Kachera and all these guys going into the 2010 Olympics. Um, obviously you had a big injury, um, that sort of precluded that a little bit. Talk about that period of time, the talent in the room, so to speak, and what it, how, how that was both 
challenging, but also um, success driving in, in you as an athlete. I want to take a minute to connect you to our newest sponsor, Zenkai Sports, who are here with a question for you. Why do we sweat? Our body is perfectly designed to cool us down, but most apparel companies use moisture-wicking fabrics that remove our sweat, which makes us overheat faster and actually hurts our performance. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping you cool for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. This lowers your carbon footprint and saves money, so you can be a hero with your planet and your family. Join the revolution for better apparel technology. What's in your ZNA? We've partnered with Zenkai, so if you head over to www.zenkaisports.com and use the discount code LYM20, you'll get 20% off your entire... Yeah, you know, the... uh... There was a lot of talent in the room, but I, I don't think that it was just, it was perfect timing. It was the perfect storm. Uh, mm. I think that at that time, uh, we had leadership from Eric and Jan Hudek that were, that were on the national team. And we, um, Pete Ryberic was the Alberta ski team coach and Dujon Grasic was the BC ski team coach. And both provinces had just an amazing uh, system going on at that time. Uh, Alberta put, it was, it was all uh, mostly Alberta, uh, sorry, a Calgary based athletes. And there was a centralized program there. Uh, the BC team was in Invermere and there was a great centralized program there. And I think everybody really needed it. And uh, you know, we would work out before school uh, we would ski a lot if there was, you know, uh, the, with the guidance counselor, we would have our classes um, arranged that maybe we would have two, three hours to train midday and we would go up to Pano and we would train. And I know in Alberta, they were doing that as well. You know, there was night skiing, there was training at COP and uh, we were getting a ton more training than everybody. Uh, we were getting a ton more time in the gym and, and growing growing the strength, the fundamental strength that you need prior to making the national team. And, uh, and along with that, um, uh, we got Vancouver Olympics and mm-hmm. I think that was, that was huge. Uh, I think if we hadn't had Vancouver Olympics, it wouldn't have mattered how much talent, uh, was around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, p- people care of skiing in Canada because of the Olympics and, uh, you know, it was, the team was already in a slump. I mean, Eric had had a, hadn't had a couple, hadn't had the results yet when they announced the uh, Olympics. I believe they announced it in 2002, I believe eight years prior, maybe mm-hmm. 2000. Yeah. 2002, I think it was 2003, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think the first year that he podiumed was at Lake Louise. And I think that was in 2003, uh, ish, I think so. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> got to figure that out in my head, but I think so. So, um, I mean, I remember, like, I remember I was working construction that summer and, and then they, they announced that we were having the Olympics and I thought, Hey, that's great. Like, you know, that would be kind of cool. And, and literally within months, like money just started flowing into programs and Mm. all of a sudden, uh, I was kind of, all of a sudden I was, there was money for us to join the development team. 
and Pete Ryberic moved up to the, being the development team coach. And we had so many good guys on the development team and it was run very, very well. And I think there was a goal in sight. It was like, Hey, everybody here can go to the Olympics in Vancouver mm-hmm. and we're going to start handpicking you. And, uh, and it just showed, I mean, we like, you know, you named a, a bunch, but I would still say like that, you know, Brad Spence, Trevor White, uh, Paul Stutz, like there, there was a lot of guys, literally everybody on that development team made the national team, uh, mm-hmm. and, and went on to have some really good world cup results. And there was not one guy on that development team that didn't make an impact on the world cup. And I think the self-belief, uh, the belief within sponsors, the belief within the government, and then the drive that we were all drive that we're all there to, to make an impact in, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And the crazy, I think the craziest part about it is that um, like literally like John Kachera and I, we went from the development team and then skipped the whole Europa cup tour and went straight to world cup. And both of us were with, were in the top 30 in the world at the end of that season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just went to show like we, the foundation that we had built throughout the provincial teams um, we were strong enough to be a, to be a presence on the world cup. If we hadn't put all those, those three to four years of, of dry land, hard dry land in at from, you know, 15 to, to 20, there's no way we could have competed well. And I've seen it happen since, I mean, tangent, but I've seen guys with so much talent that have come in. And when, when the provinces haven't had a great program, be it whatever province, it doesn't matter. Uh, these guys with, with a lot of talent come in and, and they don't have a chance. Uh, you, you're never going to catch up, mm. uh, strength wise. You, you're not going to, you're just like, you're going to, there, nobody's going to keep you on the national team for five years while you build your strength up. It's just not going to happen. Plus you're just playing, you're going to play catch up the rest of your career. There's not enough time as a world cup skier during the off season to build up the strength that you need to be foundationally strong. You have to have that coming onto the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in my opinion, maybe you have a different, different opinion. You, you've, you've seen a lot as well, but, uh, but, uh, you know, so I think, I think there was just a, a, it was a culmination and a combination of so many things. And, uh, and the, yeah, so to get back, the craziest part was we were, we were there to make it, to make the Vancouver Olympics. That's what we were. That was our goal. That was why they funded us and put so much effort in and gave us extra video and, and all of this and we went on to do very well well before six years before and then torino came along we didn't even know that like that was a goal of ours and all of us made torino olympics Hmm. i think everybody uh you know like on the tech side francois bork was fourth unfortunately eric was fourth uh john kachera and i uh were sitting second and third in the super g before they canceled the race and re-ran it Hmm. um you know like there were there were that, that could have been our best Olympics because it was the Olympics we weren't even trying to do well at. It was just the Olympics for us to come in and get experience so we could do well in Vancouver. And it just, I think, I think the, the common denominator was the fact that everybody around us was pursuing the same goal. Mm. 
At the most recent 2019 World Junior Hockey Championships in the Czech Republic, Team Canada's number one goalie was Nico Dawes. Nico is a great story. Heading into his NHL draft year, he was not on the Canadian team's radar. In the summer of 2019, Nico trained hard with the support of the great team at Shield Performance in Burlington, Ontario. He built up his body armor and lost 25 pounds. He came to the Guelph Storm camp in the best shape of his life and earned the number one spot for the defending OHL champs and then earned his spot with Team Canada on one of the hockey world's largest stages. One of the tools used by Nico was the Matrix Fitness S-Force Performance Trainer. The S-Force is a no-impact, weight-bearing training tool that can improve fast-twitch muscle fiber, increase explosive performance, and support many conditioning objectives. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. For more information, please request the Matrix Fitness Sports Performance Package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Villeneuve, at matrixfitness.com. And mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. Talk about the uh, the Olympic thing for a second, because one of the things that I found interesting in getting to know Eric and other alpine skiers is, you know, you're in a sport that that has a, call it a pro circuit um, of, of hills that you're skiing all the time. And it's kind of like the F1 racing on, on a ski hill. And, um, and effectively that's, as you're growing up in the sport, that's kind of, you know, the big, the big races, Kitzbühel, you know, then you got Wengen and your world championship and things like that. And the Olympics come along every four years. And I think the reg, the regular Joe in the street thinks, you know, the Olympics are the, the pièce de la résistance, but to, to a degree, the Olympics are kind of, not that they're not a big and important thing in you guys world, but I'm just curious how you looked at them going into it. Um, knowing, you know, that your, your first and foremost goal was to, to win races on the, on the, you know, the, the big circuit, so to speak. So how, how was that first Olympics and what did it mean to you to be there and stuff and in that context? Yeah. You know, the first Olympics, uh, it was kind of surreal because I, I don't think that I ever had a goal of making the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, mountain biking didn't have, wasn't in the Olympics. And uh, Rob Boyd won the Whistler World Cup. That's all I knew. Uh, <laughs> I, sure, I sure didn't care about the Olympics. I mean, every year, uh, fists, fists would come out with the World Cup winning runs. And, and my, my stepdad had all of, uh, all of those videos and we would put them in. Uh, on the weekends and and that's what we would watch um and fis didn't didn't i guess maybe wasn't running the the olympics so they weren't the olympic runs never even made it on those videos mm-hmm. and uh and i didn't care at all uh <laughs> literally i i didn't even yeah I, I, we were not an olympic family we didn't watch sports i was always out doing sports i my first year world cup which was in uh the year prior I mean, I knew who Herman Meyer was and I knew who Darren Raubs was because we trained with him in, in Chile. I knew nobody else. And all I got, my teammates would laugh at me because I'm like, well, they're like, oh my God, you beat so-and-so in a split. I'd be like, well, who's that guy? And they're like, man, he's like fourth in the world right now. And I'm like, cool. Like, I'm going to have to learn all these guys' names. I don't know anybody here. And I was just out to lunch. I didn't care at all. Uh, so when I went to Torino, I, I actually, I got such a sour Olympic taste in my mouth, unfortunately, because 
a uh, Johnny Kachera and I, our race got canceled and we had the potential to get a medal. And secondly, um, you know, we showed up and it was just kind of a, a, the, the athletes village was just a mud pit and they threw some, some, um, plywood down so we wouldn't get all muddy. And unfortunately at that time, and, um, you know, there was a ton of, of security, like, uh, more than, than I'd ever seen at any other Olympics because of, of, um, September 11th. And, and it was, it was, uh, it just seemed like it was interesting because I was, I didn't understand why all of a sudden there was so much security. I mean, last, the week prior we raced all of us and nobody seemed to care about security. We all just walked to the van after the race through all the drunken fans. Right. So (laughs) I didn't really, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And, uh, and, you know, being in Italy, I didn't understand, um, the impact in Canada, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just came back and I thought, well, that was, that was fun. That was cool. Uh, as Vancouver ramped up, um, I started seeing like the impact of, of the Olympics and, and how much people care about this one week. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's, it's pretty cool week and, you know, I, I'm not going to downplay an Olympic medal. Um, I think it, it should be on everybody's goal that is an Olympic sport. Um, you know, some Olympic mm-hmm. medals are easier to get than others. And, and, uh, you, you know, you can't pick, sometimes you don't pick what sport you're, you're going to go into because it's, it's, uh, you know, where you, where you grew up and what your family did and, and what you were, um, offered as a child. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's never really, it's, it's been a goal, but it's, I think it's just been a goal because I'm going to the Olympics and obviously I want to do well mm-hmm. when I'm at a race. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but to me, Vangen and Kitzbühel were always the races that, that I dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even in world championships, I mean, I, I knew that the world champs seemed to be bigger and in our world, I think those, those races still are, are, mm-hmm. uh, are bigger races. Here again with another word from our sponsors, Zenkai Sports, who want to let you in on a little secret. Performance apparel hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. Most apparel is still based on moisture-wicking synthetics, which not only make you more overheat faster, but are toxic for your body and the environment. Synthetics don't biodegrade, so that stinky workout shirt you have to throw out after six months, it lasts for thousands of years in landfills. Zenkai is the only cotton-based training apparel on the market, keeping your body safe from those scary petroleum-based synthetics found in most workout gear and giving you that extra edge when it counts. Be a part of the solution and join the revolution for better apparel technology at www.zenkaisports.com. What's in your ZNA? For 20% off your entire order, please use the discount code LYM20. Talk about that the first time you stood at the top of Kitzbühel because, you know, the average... Joe doesn't really understand how crazy that that race actually is, but uh, I've been there and seen what they do and, and what it looks like. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating track. So, you know, was it intimidating the first time you, you you skied it, or did or was that not your 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 intellectual culture when you when you skied in in essence? Well, the first time I raced Kitzbühel was actually the second time I went to Kitzbühel. The first time I went to Kitzbühel. Our coach went up and uh, 
and said uh, the course was too tough for me and uh, told me that I wasn't going to be racing that week. <laughs> so I went up for inspection and then he pulled me um, after the inspection and said, I don't think you're going to race this week. And, uh, you know, hindsight, I was, I was pissed at the time, but obviously uh, he knew, he knew. And, uh, you know, I wasn't the technically the, the, the best skier out there. I, I just... Uh, he was probably a little worried about me because I, I, I knew that I wasn't technically the best skier. And so I would, uh, I would generally do well because of, of maybe the, the risks that I was willing to take. <laughs> and uh, he thought that maybe wasn't a good idea. So he, uh, he pulled me. And so then the second year when we showed up again, um, I raced. And, and that was a tough race because I had kind of already gotten it put into my head that, you know, maybe last year I wasn't as good. And then um Vengen Vengen happened and it was a good race I believe I was and it's crazy how you remember these things but I think I was 26th and uh and then um we went over to to Austria and uh the races got delayed and delayed because of really bad weather and we weren't able to load the hill even even to get some free skiing in. and so we just sat in the hotel for days hmm. uh Monday Tuesday uh, Saturday well we didn't we raced on uh, Saturday in Vengen and then travel day Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday was our first day. So we hadn't skied in, in four days and they had pushed up the training run, um, for Kitzbühel to 10, 10 o'clock, I believe it was. And 10 o'clock is normally it's an 1130 start and at 1130, some sun pops out and you get, you get a little bit more depth perception on the race course. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 10 o'clock you get zero depth perception and it makes a gnarly race course already so much gnarlier. And, uh, and, uh, along with that, that where, where we can free ski, um, is actually kind of far away from, from where the race course is in, in Kitzbühel, uh, from the, from the start. So I was starting, uh, three and, uh, so I got my inspection done and then I went to the top and I was like, okay, well, I've got you know, 45 minutes to, to do a free run. I haven't skied in four days. It would be really nice before I go down this thing. And, uh, and I was told there wasn't enough time to get over to a, a, a free skiing run, let alone just do a run. And so I just went over and had a good warm up. and I was in the start gate and I thought, man, like literally the last run I did was a race run and now I'm here. And I looked back at my, at my serviceman, the guy who tunes our skis and, and, and I, I looked at him and I said, you know, literally we were like 30 seconds before I go. And I said, I don't think this is a good idea at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and he looked at me and, and he was so white. And I mean, I was his only athlete at the time. I mean, if I get injured, he loses his job kind of thing. And he, and he agreed, he agreed with me, which was the worst part. He said, I don't think it is either. <laughs> and, and, and he said, but you should do it anyways. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And, um, I skied so scared and I was so far out. Um, and it was pretty gnarly and, and you know what, unfortunately, I think I scared myself a bunch that, that year. And I never, it took me a lot of years to, to, to get better in Kitzbühel. Um, Mm. it's never been a race that I've done that, that well at, uh, you know, now, now I'm older, I've have a, a couple top tens and downhill, couple top tens and super G. So, you know, they're, they're high tens, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth, something like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I think that's respectable. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not where, where I want to be in, at, at a race like that. But, um, 
there were demons and uh yeah it is a gnarly course i mean like literally you you the third gate you're going 70 kilometers an hour and then there's a 60 meter jump and and you drop into this hole that you can't see the ground it's a huge <laughs> compression uh one year i crashed in that compression and uh, like when i came up like when i opened my eyes and i was still like i had no more buckles on my ski boots and <laughs> the, the toe piece was gone off my binding and like it's you know it's gnarly and uh and uh the lower half um of the race course you come over a jump and you can see the whole crowd and there's this side hill that you go across and you just kind of, your head just kind of rattles. And every time you just kind of use your peripheral and see if like the higher you can stay up it, the faster you can be in. And it's just kind of hanging on. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a wild ride. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's uh, it, you really, you really are. I mean, it's, it's got good flat section. It's got, it's got some gliding, it's got some steeps. Uh, you really, you really have to commit and be a, a good skier and generally the best skiers in the world win there. Um, mm-hmm. where, where to go back to the Olympics, the Olympic courses are usually a little dumbed down. Uh, they're one-off events. They're usually on like a big wide open run and they go back and forth. Uh, because it's, um, you know, it's the Olympics. It is about participation. I mean, you want, um, the most nations possible to be able to compete where mm-hmm. in world cup, you got to be top hundred. You got to earn your spot in the world. And, uh, and then you have to earn your spot within your country spots to race in these races. So they can make them gnarly. Mm-hmm. You, you've had, um, your share of, you know, injuries, which this sport unfortunately has a, a, a part of, uh, it is a part of, so to speak. Um, what, how have those injuries both shaped you and perhaps changed you in, in a, in a way? Uh, Oh, injuries. I mean, that's where you learn. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, life's, life's pretty easy when you're not injured. I feel like you, you think that it's hard and you make it hard. Um, uh, you know, training, you're training hard and then you get injured and then you realize how much more work you need to put in and, and how much better you need to be. And, and that you potentially aren't going to be exactly where you were prior. So, what other aspects of your training are you going to train at? How are you going to be better at something else? Um, do you need to be better uh, in in a, in an area that you maybe necessarily weren't that good in, and and you didn't focus on it because uh, you were at hundred percent in your strength or your knees or or how you participated in the in the in your training at the gym or just your warm up in general? So I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, through all of my injuries, I've I've learned a lot, and uh, um, I definitely have learned how to how to train better, um, how to eat better, how to sleep more, um, and how much how much advantage of an advantage that gives you. Um, I think sleep is most importantly. Um, you know, now that I have a kid, uh, um, you know, I also notice how I can operate without much sleep. But when I when I get the chance, I go on the road. And I need my mental performance to be at, at an all-time high. I mean, sleep for sure, nine hours minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you all the lessons I've learned. I feel like there, there's just so many, but I feel like um, uh, working, when you can't work physically, um, you need to work mentally. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that the powers that I've built uh, through, through mindfulness and meditation and all of that is has been a key uh, ingredient to to the longevity of my career 
mm-hmm. not just getting injured and 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 then uh, disappearing from the sport. Mm-hmm. Take me to uh, Lake Louise uh, a year and a bit ago when, like, for me, I reflect back on it because that was Eric's retirement ceremony, so to speak, because he um, was going out there to ski, potentially ski that season. And um, he was standing in the start gate as he has reflected the story to me. And, you know, you went ahead of him, crashed in in a training run and um, busted yourself up pretty good. And he saw the helicopter um, taking you off the hill. And at that moment, he sort of decided he would probably pack it in. So, you know, what what happened and 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 then from there, you know, what what has been your journey since? Yeah, I mean, the the crash itself was not a not a big deal. Um a little bit of driver error and some soft snow. And I just went into the nets and I just happened to go into the nets in an awkward angle where, uh, um, I just crushed, I crushed my leg, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was in a lot of pain. <laughs> I knew my leg was broken <laughs> right away. And, uh, I'd heard reports that, you know, that some of the radios, because it was a training run, it was early. Some of the radios weren't mic'd up to people's earpieces so they could hear me screaming on coaches' radios at the top and stuff. And, you know, I was in a lot of pain and, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, they, they, the way they, it was a long, um, medivac operation because they, they weren't, because my leg was, was so crushed that they, um, they were very worried about, um, uh, rupturing my, uh, um, an artery, I guess. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, bleeding out or whatever. So, or, or I'm not exactly sure what they were, but they were worried about blood loss and, and, uh, and, uh, so they had to, they had to helivac me on my side, which they, you know, isn't protocol. They're not very, they hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, through the, through, yeah, the whole medivac, I think it took a long time. So that doesn't help everybody knows that there's something really, really wrong when they don't just come and lift you up and take you mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Uh, you know, but the injury that I, that I sustained is, uh, um, was a Schatzker five tibia plateau break. So they ended up, uh, replacing a, a large part of my tibia with, um, a hip bone an arthritic hip from somebody else. And then, uh, through multiple surgeries, they, they packed bone cement down and rebuilt my, my plateau. Mm. And, uh, and then just as of late, they went in and reattached my meniscus to the plateau and took a couple screws out. So, um, yeah, it's been a process. I mean, I'm, or I'm already at 15 months and, uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on crutches right now as we speak, <laughs> but uh, prior to this last meniscus surgery, I, you know, I was, at, I was maybe at 30%. Um, there's a long road still to, to, to go forward, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's still achievable to be a racer. And I think, um, you need to, you need to push your, I think I owe it to myself to see if I can be a racer again, because I was skiing like so well before I, Mm -hmm. before I crashed and, and, uh, that fire is, is, has not burnt out, but Eric and I had talked a lot about that summer. He was my roommate and we had talked, um, because he he was coming back from injury and you know we talk about if it's worth it and what's going on and i think um 
uh, you know, it's one major difference is that he's got four daughters at home and I have one mm. soon to be two uh, kids. We don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but um, that's, you know, that's a big factor. And then um, from, from most athletes uh, that we've, that I've talked to, um, you don't know when your flame dies. Literally it just dies overnight. I've seen guys mm. retire mid season or train a whole summer and then retire first race to the back. And I've seen guys retire when they're skiing well. And it's, uh, it's an interesting concept and I'm sure it's, it's, uh, a concept that, that, uh, that is hard to understand and, and not accepted until you felt the same way. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm not there yet, but, um, you know, Eric and I have, uh, have, uh, have been together for the majority of our career in racing and I'm sure, uh, watching me do that was probably not an, not an easy thing as it would have been very, very hard if I had seen that, um, happen to, to him. Mm -hmm. You, you were part of, as you talked about kind of the heyday of the financial support of, uh, Alpine skiing in Canada, and then kind of have also been part of a slow sort of descent in the financial sort of strata of the, of the sport to a degree. and, And you find yourself now coming, working on your comeback in a time where there's a bit of an austerity reality to Alpine skiing. What, what do you hope for Alpine skiing in Canada as you look forward and potentially come back and, and ski again? Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, yeah, the budgets have gone down every year since, since the Olympics. And then, you know, um, with the plebiscite boat in, in Calgary didn't help. And, and, uh, and, uh, it's, that's been tough, I think, but I think, I think, uh, you know, you know, Alpine Canada has a new board, the boards and the, and the, the leaders of Alpine haven't had a lot of, um, uh, knowledge of, of what's been going on, on the slopes and, 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 uh, the ins and outs of, of the procedures when they've arrived, um, and they have to they have to learn it themselves. And I think Eric, having Eric on the board and having him as a really good mentor and and a soundboard for for everybody is is a huge asset. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Eric and I have talked about what we can do for forever. And you know, people people you know they always go back to saying that money is the biggest issue right away. But um, I, I I think that money we are always looking at money, and and that's not actually the problem. The problem is the culture, and the culture has shifted. Um, and I, and I alluded to this at the beginning that when the team all had one goal of being ready for Vancouver, uh, yeah, we had money, uh, money actually hurt us a lot of the times. I mean, we would do, uh, there was this GPS program that we did in, in Portillo prior to Vancouver. And and I remember they, they strapped a, we got all this money, uh, (laughs) but the money came with, uh, an ultimatum that a couple of the athletes had to strap backpacks on and then have this big heavy disc on their head, uh, for the whole two week camp. And, uh, when you're talking about getting ready for the Olympic games and poor Robbie Dixon had to ski with this backpack on for two weeks, um, you are not ready. (laughs) That is not how you get good. And, and we were actually really bad at saying, no, like we don't actually need that money. We have enough money. Um, and now we talk about it being, uh, the money issue and it's a culture issue. Um, mm. if we had good culture, I think we'd have more money. Mm. Would we have enough money? I don't know, but that doesn't matter. I think 
we need a culture of of winning. We need a culture of uh, uh, of charity. I think we we need to give back to the communities that we enter. Um, you know, skiing is a is a, is a is a sport that comes from from very well funded families and, and people that come from money and uh, and we need to figure out how to give back to the communities that we're in. I think we need to figure out how to leverage uh, the uh, um, the uh, the visibility of the athletes on the team and how we can help uh, leverage the uh, people's donations to to causes through through our platforms and mm. if we can help leverage then um, I think we do greater greater good through our communities and when we do that then everybody learns to be uh, to be a better athlete they learn about what's maybe a little bit more important than than winning ski races um, that is really important but at the end of the day uh, I think I think where we come from and and the communities that we were raised in um, and the people that that give to us I mean we're in sport I mean with sport I mean how you get good at sport is through handouts you get good at sports it doesn't matter if you're 12 to 45 years old uh, there's there's uh, sponsors want you because of their promotional values their marketing values uh, people will come and help you people want to meet you people want to be inspired by you and and uh, and a lot and you need everybody's help along the way and mm -hmm. I think uh, if we can come in a culture that we can we can give back and we can also help and not just take um, you know I think I think uh, I think ski racing will uh, will evolve back to to its winning roots and uh, yeah there's slumps of 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 uh, the athletes and 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 how much skill level there is in, in uh in certain certain groups of athletes that that come up or or areas of the country but um you know surprisingly i'm mean, skiing's huge in canada and everybody loves it and uh and and we have the opportunity and the wherewithal to to be winners and then um, make very very strong um young men and women uh and, gr and grow them on the on the alpine ski team very cool I liked listening to that, especially I just been doing a project with Eric on the organization a little bit. So it was cool to hear your, your perspective. I'm going to read to you your, um, your purpose from a book that I got called the day you were born. It combines numerology with astrology. And I sort of found my purpose in it a while back. And now that you're sort of at the back end of your career and looking at what you may do in the future <clears throat> it may be of value to you 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 said you were born february 8th correct correct so you're an aquarius 8 <clears throat> your purpose is to use your great observational skills to get ahead gain complete understanding of yourself so that you lose your fear of change and then use your success to contribute to something to something to your community fate gives us the hand and we play the cards no matter what Aquarius 8s decide to do with their lives, they will feel as though someone else has had a hand in the decision. Don't worry, he knows what he's doing. They have incredible observational skills. They also have great psychological understanding. This gives them insight into themselves and an edge in the world. They can be too self-critical and too tough on others. 
Aquarius eights take on too much responsibility and deal with depression. They need courage to face their dark side and own it. Once they look at all things that make them feel unworthy, they get strong. Then success will come at a steady pace. They must listen to their inner voice and open up their world. Aquarius eights must learn to use the power of the collective force to their advantage. They prefer being their own boss and should stay free of situations in which they have to take orders. They value their freedom and are driven to succeed. Yep, that pretty much sums that up. (laughs) (laughs) When you look back at your career, I'm just curious if you have any, call it regrets or would do something different. And I don't know if that, if you do, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I think we all live with our regrets. Um, I have regrets, absolutely. Um, I have a lot, but I also think that uh, I've learned from and and grown from all of my regretful decisions. Hmm. And um, I think that that's that's as good of an outcome as you can come up with. Um, Dwelling on them and is, uh, you know, obviously there's darker days than others, but, uh, um, you know, what's what's the point? I mean, we're all going to make mistakes and we're all human and we all need to, to come out of it, uh, better. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nobody's born perfect and that's just that. So I think, you know, I have regrets. Um, I see how the winningest of winning athletes approach things. Um, it's, it's, it's not different in any sport. It's always the same. It's, it's the same recipe. You see it. It's hard work. It's belief. It's having a great team around them. If they don't have a great team, they build a great team. Um, you know, using mentors. Uh, yeah. Could I have inspired more people around me and, and utilize the people that, that wanted to help? Sure. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I, for the things that I lacked, I was also very, very good at certain at- traits and attributes that potentially somebody else wishes they had. So mm. um, it's, it's, it's easy to, uh, to dwell on what you're not good at, but I think sometimes it's, it's better to just look at the bright side and, uh, and um, see all the gifts that you have. And I mean, I, I look at the gifts of growing up, uh, growing up in an area and a sport that I love, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. I, maybe I would have grown up being a surfer and maybe I just wouldn't have had the right touch and I would have never seen that, that sport or been, been good at it. I mean, I, I, grew, I grew up in a, in a, in a mountain town and a, and a, and a sport that, that I'm good at. And I, and I also just think that, um, that, that pretty much, I just love every day. I even mm-hmm. injured. I mean, I've been so, I've had so much pain over the last 15 months and so many days on crutches. And, uh, you know, I told, I told my wife a couple months ago, I said, you know, I think 2019 was, was my best year that I've ever had. And, hmm. uh, and the whole year I was coming back from an injury and I laid on the couch for two of those months. But, um, you know, mentally I grew, I got to spend time with my family. Um, you know, I'm not, I, uh, I'm confident in myself and I'm sure of myself and I, and I love my friends and, and I love where I'm at in my life. So, um, I'm not really sure what more you can ask for. Well, I think that's an awesome way to wrap this puppy up. So, uh, Thank you for taking the time to hang with me for close to an hour uh, whilst you're on crutches and good luck with the new baby to come and your, the rest of this rehab and possible comeback. Yeah. Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.